Welcome to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. We are a local church in East London, here to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. And our mission is to worship God, make disciples, share Jesus and transform Hoxton. And um, we are beginning, uh, we, we are in the season of Lent and uh, we are in the second sermon, in a little sermon series looking at the subject of the ruthless elimination of hurry. It's a series inspired by uh, this book by the author John Mark Comer, which a number of people in church have already read and a number of people are reading it and and using it uh, as part of the Lent Connect groups uh, to think about how we um, recenter, refocus on our walk with Jesus, our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I'll uh, say a little bit more about that in a moment. But let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Father, in this time we have together, would you graciously pour out your spirit upon us, that our hearts may be open to receive the word that you have for you, that our minds may be receptive to all that you are saying to us, and that our lives would respond with obedience to your call. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week I diagnosed a sickness that is afflicting modern society and it's called hurry sickness. It's not a made-up sickness, it's a real sickness. Psychologists have published and written about it Uh, and it makes people actually ill, hurry sickness, um, because part of what is happening in hurry sickness is that there is an overproduction of cortisol and other stress hormones in our bodies which lead to things like heart disease and heart attacks. So uh, this illness, hurry sickness, is literally killing us. It's a real issue. And it's not just about the overwhelming busyness of modern life, although that's definitely part of it, but it's also about the way in which our attention is pulled this way and that by multiple conflicting commitments. And uh, the sermon that I preached last week is available on the church website. If you'd like to go back and listen to it, if you weren't here at one of the three services last Sunday, um, you can listen to that. And I uh, encourage you to do so because I speak at a little bit more length about uh, the, the, the symptoms, if you like, of hurry sickness and, and how we can tell that it's really a real thing that is there in our society. But one haunting sentence from, uh, from the book by John Mark Comer presents itself and, and haunts me, and, and it presents itself as a challenge, I think, to us collectively this Lent. Discussing this issue around hurry and about how to help people uh, gather back and focus, refocus on Jesus, uh, John Mark Comer discussed this with a friend of his, a therapist, a counsellor, who said, he said this, he said, people are just too busy to have emotionally healthy and spiritually vibrant lives. People are just too busy to have emotionally healthy and spiritually vibrant lives. And that's the sentence that has been challenging me because I want to have an emotionally healthy and a spiritually vibrant life. And if that means I have to change, uh, then I want to do so. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to repeat myself over all of that but I want to, uh, about this hurry sickness, but I want to dive straight in by exploring two spiritual practices that can help us overcome uh, the problem of hurry and busyness in our lives. Spiritual practices that can help us recover emotional health and spiritual vibrancy. And these practices are silence and 
solitude. Silence and solitude. Now these are not a particularly promising theme for me to be exploring. Those of you who know me well know that I am an extrovert and also a verbal reflector. So the very notion of solitude and silence, uh, they, they don't seem like terribly attractive propositions to me. And yet when I look at the life of Jesus, I see that he was able to prioritise both of these things, silence and solitude, uh, in his own life. And, and I'm challenged because I suppose if I am supposed to be fashioning my life after his, if actually what it means to be an apprentice, a disciple, a follower of Jesus is that I'm supposed to become more like Jesus, then I'm going to have to learn how to incorporate these practices of silence and solitude into my life. Now, I've had a little bit of a, a, a blessing and a springboard into this recently. Um, Fridays at the moment in my week are serving like something of a kind of quiet day through some quirk and happenstance. I've ended up not having appointments usually on a Friday, uh, meetings, and very little happens here in the rhythm and the life of the church on a Friday. So it's a, it's a sort of day that in my diary, in my calendar, is allocated to reading, reflection, writing, prayer, maybe um, finishing the preparation for a sermon that I'm working on or catching up on some references or correspondence I need to do. But it's very deliberately uh, designated now as a bit of time for quiet and reflection. And I'm going to try and keep it that way for as long as I'm able to. And this Friday just gone, um, I had some time set aside to finish preparing this talk and to do a few other jobs, but I also thought I should get out and go for a little run because the, the weather was good and um, I'm trying to now kind of combat the little layer of insulation that I've built up over winter for keeping myself warm and I thought well, it's time to get out since the sun is shining. And I'm a real fair weather runner, I don't really like running. Um, but I thought I'll go and do it. And, uh, and hey, it might be a good way to get out and have a bit of silence and solitude. But I had some problems immediately. So I don't really like running by myself. I need a bit of kind of companionship and I need encouragement and spurring on. Very hard for me to go by myself. So I managed to persuade Sarah to come with me. And I cajoled her and pushed her and said, oh, we can go, it'll be fine. And we went for a little run together. And that was great because I get to chat while we're running and you know, have a little talk about the week. And Sarah listens amazingly, um, while, while she's running. It's amazing. It's tremendous, actually. I feel so affirmed. Um, she listens. I talk. And, um, and, and we went on a little run. And, then, and, and we, we, we did a little circuit, and then Sarah wanted to stop and go home. And I wanted to carry on, so I thought, that's fine. I, there was no other way of putting that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so Sarah wanted to refocus on her schedule and the day and get on with the hard work of the day. And I thought, I will procrastinate a little bit longer and run a bit further. So I carried on running, and I was sort of running kind of the parish, but also the Hackney neighbourhood and down Hackney Road. Uh, and I thought, this is good. While I'm running, I can get some work done as well. I was like, I can multitask here. I can be really efficient. My mind was wandering to a few things that have come up through the week about how we're going to uh, do cafe today and a few things we need to do. So I, so I grabbed my phone while I was running, and, uh, and I started dictating messages into a WhatsApp group, and then kind of reading the reply, and then dictating another response while I was running. I didn't hit any lampposts, you'll be glad to know. Kept on going. Uh, and then I thought of something we needed to do about our ordering. So I, I hit speed dial and got on the phone to the office and spoke to uh, Monley here in the office and had a message and then I carried on and I was totally bossing it. I was like, man, this is such good efficiency. Here I am, like being healthy, being fit, taking care of my body and I'm also getting some work done. Really, really good. 
Uh, but you might notice that the whole notion of silence and solitude was evading me even while I was on my run until my phone battery died. And, uh, and, 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 and I'd been running. And I was actually also praying for people. I prayed for a few of you here in the congregation as I ran past your houses. So I was sort of doing a little bit of a prayer run. Yeah, I did. You? Yeah, it's true. Um, ran along the canal. And, uh, and, uh, and then my phone battery died. And I thought to myself, oh, the irony. <laughs> because, of course, part of what I was doing was also trying to think through this talk for today on the subject of silence and solitude. And I was distracting myself from that by dictating WhatsApp messages and making calls. So God has a sense of humour um, with me. But it, it's a challenge. And silence and solitude were forced upon me. And they were really beneficial. I really enjoyed just being able to pray to Jesus and enjoy being with him. Now, I ended last week uh, my talk with a quote from the poet Mary Oliver, who said this, "'Attention is the beginning of devotion.'" Attention is the beginning of devotion. In other words, what we focus on, what we give our attention to, is what we worship. Uh, And it's a really interesting test and a challenge for yourself to try and think, what do I give my attention to? What what, what do I focus on? Um, Is it my own reputation? Is it my work? Is it my achievements, my fulfillment? Is it my anxieties, my fears? Where's my attention? Uh, Because actually that will tell me a lot about what I really worship, my my own success, my status, my security, my relationships, my friendships, all those different sorts of things. How then do we who profess to worship God in Jesus, how do we get our focus and our attention back on him? And this is where silence and solitude can help us. More on that in a moment. The thing about my run and my phone battery running out was I sort of also found myself with nothing else to do. And some of you are old enough, like me, to remember this thing we used to have back in the 90s, back in the, in the 20th century. We had this thing called boredom. Does anybody remember it? Boredom? You know, boredom was what happened when you were caught in a queue at the coffee shop and you didn't have a device to kind of pull out and read or message or phone somebody with. Um, boredom was kind of when you were just stuck waiting and you had nothing to do. John Mark Homer in his book says that boredom actually is a great gift to us. It's a great gift because it it can allow our imaginations to start going. But also he says this, he says, uh, boredom is a potential portal to prayer, little moments throughout our days to wake up to the reality of God all around us, to wake up to our own souls, to draw our mind's attention and with it devotion back to God, to come off the hurry drug and come home to awareness. Boredom can be a real gift to bring us back into worship, into relationship with Jesus. But there is a struggle for us. It's hard in our modern age. There was a recent survey from Microsoft, and in the survey, 77% of adults answered in the affirmative. They said yes to this statement. The statement was this. When nothing else is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. I was surprised it was as low as 77%, if I'm honest. I think if they'd included teenagers in the survey, we'd have been up in the 90s. But we do live in a situation, a context, in which it's very difficult to embrace boredom and to find silence and solitude. And yet it's there at the very heart of how Jesus lived. Uh, Look again at Mark chapter 6. It's really interesting how uh, the passage begins. Um, The apostles are gathered around Jesus. They've reported to him all that they're doing and teaching. Then, verse 31, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, 
he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. They were so busy doing ministry, doing the work of the apostles, doing, doing what Jesus had taught them, that so many people come to Jesus, coming and going, that they didn't even have time to eat. Sound familiar? Sometimes life can be like that. Our work lives can be like that. We work long hours, we rush around, and there's always another thing on our to-do list, another thing that demands our attention. Uh, and, and, and the disciples are not having a chance to eat, and so Jesus says to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So Jesus says, come to a quiet place, get rest. They go to this solitary place, um, and, 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 they, and they get there, and the disciples say, this is a remote place. This is So here we are, several times in a few verses, saying, right, we've found it. We've found the quiet place. We've found the remote place, the, the, the solitary place. And then what happens? They discover a whole crowd has followed them there. And uh, the crowd are with them. And this is blissfully real, right? Life happens. There's a reality to this. We don't always get the space we need. And sometimes we still have to give out. If you have uh, children at home or people that you care for, elderly relatives or things, or you've got um, particular kind of commitments, it can be tough. We don't always get the space we need. We keep on having to give out. And, and even though we don't have enough, we still have to give out. We'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. But this story of the, the loaves and the fishes is um, always an extraordinary reminder uh, that even when what we have is insufficient, when we offer it to God, it gets taken, blessed and multiplied and the, and the multitude are fed. But as soon as there's opportunity, Jesus is off for some quiet time in the quiet place again. Uh, so at the very end of the passage we read after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So we see it there four times, this uh, emphasis on finding the quiet place, the solitary place, the remote place, the mountainside for prayer. What is this quiet place? Well, the Greek word for it is eremos. And it can be translated as wilderness or desert, uh, but also it can be translated as a solitary place or a lonely place, a remote place. Um, desert doesn't just mean kind of sand and rocks. It, it could just be a place which is uncultivated, a place that is far away from normal habitation, a place of withdrawal. And it's worth remembering that it's, it's the same place that Jesus went to in Matthew 3 and, and was tempted by the devil. But it's, it's worth knowing and reminding ourselves that when he, when he was driven into the wilderness, it wasn't that the devil dwelt in the wilderness. It was that Jesus went to spend time in the wilderness with God, his father, to build up the strength so that after 40 days when he was hungry, the devil could come and test him and Jesus could overcome and withstand the temptation. In other words, the Eremos is not a bad place to go, it's a good place to go. It's a place where we go to build up our strength for the battle. It, it's only when we spend time in solitude, in, in, in the solitary place in the, in the Eremos, that we have the strength to resist the temptations and the burdens and the things which will come and afflict us. You know, it's, it's like if you're going to run the marathon, you have to train for the marathon. The training for the marathon is not the marathon itself, but without training for the marathon, when the marathon comes, you'll falter and stumble. It's like a boxer skipping on the rope, training or sparring, preparing for the battle. The Uremos isn't a place of weakness. It's a place where you go to build up your strength with God. Jesus needed the Uremos to build the strength for the purpose God had given him. And we need solitary places in our lives to prepare us and build us up to respond with obedience to our vocation, to what God has called us to. 
And it's really central in Jesus' ministry. At the end of Mark chapter 1, after a long day of doing ministry, Jesus gets up early and goes to the Aramos. We see it again in Mark 6 that we've just seen there. He leads his disciples to the Aramos to get rest. Hello. Um, and, and the point here is it's not just like at the end of a long day. You don't just need a cold beer or a visit to the movies to kind of chillax. What you need is some time with God, some solitude in the solitary place. Life happens, crowds follow, there's work to be done. And that often seems to be why Jesus goes off at night or early in the morning, uh, because it's just when he gets some time. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus withdraws to the Aramos nine times. And actually, um, the busier and the more successful his ministry gets, the more often he seems to retreat. There's a lesson for us that as we grow uh, in, in our responsibilities in Christian life and in our vocation, our work grow, we'll need to, we'll need to allocate even more time to spending uh, in solitude and silence. So a couple of words about those two things. Silence, first of all. St. Augustine said that entering into silence is entering into joy. Uh, and, and at one level, I'm not quite sure what he means, but then I just think about my kids and their devices and the noise that's always on at home. And then I think entering into silence is entering into joy. But there are two kinds of silence. There's the external silence and the internal silence. Or, if you like, two kinds of noise, external noise and, and internal noise. The external noise um, is relatively easy to control if we're determined to tackle it. We can remove ourselves uh, from the room where the TV is on. We can find a place that's quiet. We can turn the radio off. We can go for a walk in a park. We can book onto a retreat centre. It's, it's relatively straightforward if we are determined uh, to do so to go and find a place away from external noise. We live in London, so there'll always be a bit of noise, but you, we still have parks and we still have places and times when you can go and walk. Uh, actually, the harder struggle for us will probably be to turn off um, these devices and all the external noise that these bring to us because if, you're, if your pocket is buzzing and vibrating uh, every few minutes or you're hearing the ding of a notification every few minutes, it's very very hard uh, to, to achieve silence. And that's why last week, as I said, I, last week at the service I turned my phone off and I left it off all day. And it was fine. The world didn't end. I was greatly relieved. Um, so we can find external silence. Uh, and as I say, I, I quite like the idea uh, of going for a run as a way of having some silence. Although I have to confess that usually when I go for a run, I put my earbud my headphones on and listen to a podcast because I like to kind of occupy the time and be more efficient and I'm trying to remind myself I don't always have to be efficient with the time it's okay just to run and have some silence but the internal silence is harder to deal with internal silence is the noise within your heart within your mind the internal noise are the conversations that you have with yourself about how you're doing about situations that matter to you in your life about your anxieties and fears about your hopes the internal noise of our lives is when we replay conversations we've had with somebody or we rerun scenarios to think, could I have done that differently? Or imagine if I had said this, that would have shown them. You know, or, or we start to plot our revenge on somebody that we're irritated with. Or we start to fantasize about how a relationship might develop or evolve in our, in our, to our benefit or in our favor. And all of us have that. All of us, to some extent, have the voices, the, 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 con, the constant chatter of our own lives as we think about ourselves. But the challenge is just that, that we are thinking of ourselves. Do you remember the old uh, definition that C.S. Lewis gave of humility? He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And so often the chatter that runs around in our mind and our heart 
is preoccupied with the world surrounding us. And we are, as it were, the sun at the centre of our universe with everything orbiting around us. To achieve internal silence, we have to let Jesus become the centre of our universe once again. The sun at the centre of our solar system. My practice is to use the Jesus prayer. The Jesus prayer is an ancient prayer that's been used uh, from the Orthodox Church and right up to this day from the earliest centuries. And it's just 12 words. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Really simple prayer. And I just pray it repeatedly. And I pray it repeatedly often with my breathing, focusing on breathing in, breathing out, focusing on the name of Jesus. Because every time we utter the name of Jesus, we are invoking his presence. We are calling him to mind and we are calling him to be present with us. We are decentering ourselves and, and putting the focus, our attention, our devotion on him. And indeed, if you, if you practice it a long time, it can almost become wordless so that you're not even conscious of the words that you are praying. You're just conscious of this continual pulse and rhythm of coming back to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's how I have learned to cultivate silence. Why does it matter? Well, um, in C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, he talks about, it's a sort of satire or parody, I suppose, in a way it's about, uh, the conceit of the books is about this senior demon, Screwtape, who's teaching junior demons how to distract Christians from the task and work of discipleship. And uh, one of the things Screwtape says at one stage is he describes the devil's realm as a kingdom of noise. And he says this, we will make the whole universe a kingdom of noise in the end. That's the goal and the work of the enemy is to make the whole universe a kingdom of noise in which we are always distracted from Jesus. We are never able to achieve that inner silence and come to him. So that's a few words about silence. Now a few words about solitude. And I think it's really important just at the moment to think about the difference between solitude and isolation. And isolation actually, of course, is going to be very topical for us over the coming weeks uh, in terms of social distancing and quarantines and self-isolation. But isolation is experienced by most people as a negative thing. It's akin to loneliness, emptiness, abandonment. Isolation can very often be the place where you feel forgotten, neglected. Solitude is not that. Solitude is about a dedicated space in which we can tune in again to God. We can hear his words, his voice. Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of Discipline, said loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. Very often isolation is a way of escaping the realities of the world. Uh, It can be dangerous to us because we can obsess around ourselves. Yet solitude is actually a form of engagement with the world. Not escape, but engagement in the world. Solitude is bringing ourselves proactively into the presence of God and making him the focus of our attention. Remember what Mary Oliver said, attention is the beginning of devotion. Honoré Nouwen said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. In uh, the parenting course that we occasionally run here, um, the analogy is made like this way, the point is made that to a child, love is spelt T-I-M-E. 
Yeah? That's how we express our love and our affection is with quality time. Quality time together is important for our relationships. For Sarah and I, it's really important for our marriage relationship. Uh, it's important for our relationship with our parents, our friends, our children, uh, our community, time with one another. Solitude is about setting aside time to spend with God in that relationship that will nourish us. Remembering perhaps the words of God spoken over Jesus at his baptism. This is my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And that's what God says over each of us. This is my daughter whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Solitude and silence are the places where we hear once again the words of our loving father. Now solitude isn't always easy to achieve in a central London 21st century environment, but it can be done. And it's not just about booking in those day retreats or trying to get that kind of hours quiet walk in Victoria Park by yourself. Sometimes those things are going to be too much for you. The crowds are going to turn up and be hungry and they need something to eat. Life will happen. But actually, solitude isn't just about a place. It's about a state, a state of heart, a state of your mind, a way of being. Even in the midst of a crowd, we can bring our focus, however briefly, back to God. And we do have retreat centres, and we do have wonderful parks, and we have a river and riverside walks. There are places to go. And if you need any help on finding retreat centres or ideas, come and have a word with me or Caroline, and we can help. Why does all this matter? Why is silence and solitude so important? What's the consequence of not pursuing it? Well, I want to read to you a little extract from um, this book by John Mark Homer, uh, where he suggests... Some of the things that might occur to us if we don't practice silence and solitude. He says this, we feel distant from God and end up living off somebody else's spirituality via a podcast feed or a book or a one-page devotional that we read before we rush out the door to work. He says we feel distant from ourselves. We lose sight of our identities and callings. We get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. We feel an undercurrent of anxiety that rarely, if ever, goes away. This sense that we are always behind, always playing catch-up, never done. Then we get exhausted. We wake up and our first thoughts are, already? I can't wait to go to bed. We lag through our days, our low-grade energy on loan from our stimulants of choice. Even when we catch up on our sleep, we feel a deeper kind of tired. Then we turn to our escapes of choice. We run out of energy to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, say, prayer, and instead we turn to the cheap fix, another glass of wine, a new show streaming online, our social media feeds, porn. We become easy prey for the tempter, just furthering our sense of distance from God and our souls. And then emotional unhealth sets in. We start living from the surface of our lives, not the core. We're reactionary. The smallest thing is a trigger, a throwaway line from the boss, a snide comment from a co-worker, a suggestion from a spouse or roommate. It doesn't take much. We lose our tempers, bark at our kids, get defensive, sulk, feel angry or sad, often both. These are the signs and symptoms of a life without silence and solitude. You can see why I said at the beginning, quoted that uh, friend of the author who said people are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually vibrant lives. If we want emotionally healthy, spiritually vibrant lives, we're going to have to find some new practices. Mary Oliver said, attention is the beginning of devotion. Silence and solitude are means by which we might direct our attention back to Jesus, 
Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Just stilling the external silence and the internal silence by focusing on prayer. Just calling on the name of Jesus. Solitude. Resting in the words of God our Father. You are my daughter, my son, whom I love with you and well pleased. Becoming aware of his presence and his goodness, knowing ourselves to be forgiven and loved. I want to conclude just with a couple of final words about why this matters so much right at the moment. Um, one effect of uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, is that people feel vulnerable. People feel anxious. This week has changed so fast. You could tell from the notices earlier on that things have changed in what we were planning for this Sunday, next Sunday, uh, even in a few days. We recognize, we are nationally and internationally recognizing that there are forces beyond our control that affect our lives. That's not comfortable to us because we like to think that our lives are entirely the result, the fruit of our own labors and our own endeavors. Our self-sufficiency is being challenged. Well, this is a moment when maybe we can get real, real with ourselves, real with one another. What we have is not enough. The supermarket shelves are bare and our souls are barren. We actually don't have enough to feed ourselves, satisfy ourselves, nourish ourselves. But the insufficient offering principle still holds. The insufficient offering principle is, is derived from this story of the feeding of the 5,000. The crowd's too big and they've got five loaves and two fish. It's absurd. It's, it's Obviously not enough to feed everybody, but offered to God, taken, blessed, broken, multiplied. It can feed a multitude with leftovers. I feel as though for us right at the moment, there is this challenge to us to learn to, to still our hands and to silence our hearts. You know, all, the, all the busyness with which we occupy our hands, our rushing around, our, uh, depending on our own efforts and our own labours and our own industry and our own endeavour. You know, still those. Silence our hearts. All that chatter, the chatter that goes on in our minds and our hearts about how we are and who we are, the anxieties, the fears. Time to silence all of that chatter. And in silence and in solitude, come back to God. And there's a call here. There's a call to repent and to believe, to come back to Jesus. That's what Jesus says, you know, to, to come to him. Repent and believe. Repent is just to turn around, to reorient ourselves, to turn back to Jesus. It is a, like we earlier on in worship, it's like turning from fear and to faith, to trust. And believe, trust, trust in Jesus. Trust that he has enough to provide. Trust that he is sufficient for you. Just at the moment, some of us need to silence the chatter we need to stop avoiding God and ourselves through busyness and, and uh, the company that we're keeping and in silence and solitude come face to face with Jesus and to say sorry, to confess, to say sorry for trying to live our lives as master and commander of our own destiny. And that's what I want to invite you to do with me just now. Why don't we stand together and pray?
just want to lead us in a very simple prayer from where we are. And you might want to echo it in your hearts. It's a prayer of confession and repentance coming back to God. Lord Jesus Christ, I am so sorry for filling my life with all kinds of things which are not good and not from you. Jesus, I'm so sorry that I give more attention to the voices and the noise around me, both outside and in, my heart and my mind, the voices of fear and anxiety, of hope and expectation, of pride, and that I do not spend enough time listening to your gentle, gracious words of love. I'm so sorry that I have leaned too much on my own understanding and trusted too much in the work of my own hands as though they could save me, as though they could satisfy me. And Jesus, I come back to you, we come back to you, repenting, turning, believing and trusting in you as the source of all goodness, the source of our salvation, our redemption. Thank you that you are healing us and transforming us. Overcome the fear in our lives, we pray, by your Holy Spirit within us and give us faith, faith to live for you, faith and trust to embrace you in silence and in solitude. And through us, would you bring many more people to know you? Thank you that the eternal salvation of women and men in this neighborhood is held in your hands, but that you invite us to partner with you in bearing your good news, Lord Jesus, to a world in need. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Hoxton podcast. New talks will be uploaded every week from all of our services. And do check out our website, stjohnshoxton.org.uk, for more information.